Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Adan Shore, co-founder and COO of Data Rios, a data transformation framework that's raised $23 million in funding. Adan, thanks for chatting with me today. As well, Brad. Happy to be here. Yeah, so before we begin talking about what you're building, let's start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Yeah, sounds good. I'm going to give you the, uh, the overall spill. So, hey, I'm Ami Dan. I'm 38 years old and currently residing in Israel. After many years living in the States, I am married with two most wonderful, loving children and a dog, Teddy, who keeps on barking and might just, you know, bark during airtime. But aside from that, he's a real cutie. I've been joining the Taurus pretty much from the beginning, from the get-go, two years ago when we practically started and established the company. As COO of the company, I'll explain about my day-to-day in a bit. Before that, I was heading marketing operations, sales operations, and BD for a company called Playbuzz, who recently changed their name into Exco. And before that, I was head of sales in a company called Webpick for six years, each of those companies before. And again, I'm super static to be on that show. Nice. And I've heard there's a couple of startups there in Tel Aviv. Could you tell us about the Israeli tech ecosystem and what's happening? Yeah, so the, the Israeli tech is, I guess, super condensed. I think that, you know, Israel in general and Tel Aviv as a startup tech incubation pretty much have pretty much sprouted in the last 15 years to be some kind of a gigantic startup atmosphere. I think that we're number one today in the world of startups per capita and number one in the world of unicorns per capita which is, I guess, super um, amazing towards the fact that Israel is only comprised that of 6 million people or so in comparison to other states, obviously, in other countries in the world. Besides that, I think that the landscape is pretty widespread. Companies that are focusing on healthcare, on fintech, on education, and others are pretty much dominating the market today. So, you know, starting from companies like Wix, Mobileye, ways that have been acquired by Google and others have been, you know, long time with us for the past like 15 years or so and kind of spearheading the startup landscape here in Israel. So yeah, I mean, Tel Aviv, I think besides that is a very good complement to any startup that have, you know, pretty much wanted to move forward and to gain more traction across the United States and North America as a whole. And obviously we're here to keep that in the loop. Nice. Years ago, I read the book Startup Nation, and I booked a flight the next week and flew to Tel Aviv and spent two weeks there just meeting with founders and speaking with founders. And it's such an exciting place to be. Everyone's so cool. Everyone's so, you know, everyone thinks so big there. And it's just such a such an amazing place. Good to hear, man. I mean, I love the Tel Aviv. I love the vibe. It's pretty similar. I was living in New York City for, for, uh, for quite some time, and it's not exactly the New York niche. It's not exactly the New York minutiae. But when we're talking about San Francisco and Palo Alto and the entire Bay Area, I could find some good similarities there to Tel Aviv. So I can definitely relate to what you're saying. Totally. 
Nice, cool. Well, let's uh, let's talk about a few questions here, just so we can better understand what makes you tick. So, the first one is: there a founder CEO that you are studying the most now, and if so, why? I think that the guy I most look up to, I guess, is Adam Singol, the CEO and founder of Taboola. It's yet another Israeli company that had, I don't know, started approximately 12 years ago. And ever since I've been tracking and following this guy, it's just being mesmerizing the way that he was conducting and running and overseeing his company from scratch to the place and the, the niche there are today. I think he, he pretty much rocked out. And I'm happy to say that he's Israeli, that he's one of us, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And every time that this guy uh, is being out there, you know, running his show, I'm excited. Is there like a single lesson that you've you know, learned from him that or is there anything that you can you know, condense into an actionable insight? I think that the best thing is always to stay humble in a way, even though you already nailed it, you smashed it, you've made a whole lot of, you know, of dollars and you've been there for, for quite some time and everybody appreciate you and you kind of run your own show. Even at that point of time, you need to be humble as much as possible and always remember where you came from because that's your roots and that's what needs to derive you for any future success. So if that would be my motto, I'd be happy to keep that going. I love it. And then what about books? What book would you say has had the greatest impact on you as a founder? This can be a business book or it could just be a personal book that's really influenced how you think. So honestly, I I really loved uh, Amp It Up by uh, Frank Slootman, the chairman and CEO of Snowflake. Yet another good business book that, you know, addresses hyper growth in general and how you actually elevate marketing skills and that are incorporated with into building just successful companies. And that's exactly what I've been trying to do for my own company. So I couldn't say I was related to any other book than this one. So I'm, I'm all praising for uh, Amped It Up. Nice. I just finished that recently and I, I love that guy. <laughs> nice. He's a beast. He's a machine. The guy, the guy's a total beast. I mean, the, the fact of, of what he was doing for the past 12 years for this company and, and where is it today, it almost unbelievable. The guy, the guy's insane. Yeah. Yeah, he's an executor. He had one part of that book that I really loved. And it was, I can't remember how I worded it, but it was, you know, declare war on the status quo. I and mean, you're really making that part of your positioning. That really resonated a lot with me and, you know, how I tend to view marketing in general. So I love that part. Did you I, I think I couldn't that? agree more. And, and, and just by, you know, touching that point per se, I think that everybody's talking about disruption these days and it really became a great, you know, buzzword. But the fact that he actually talks about like, oh, war on the actual status quo, it just sounds much more coherent and much more authentic than any other word that you can probably pronounce. So the guy's a genius. What can I say? (laughs) Yeah, agreed. Nice. I love it. Now let's talk about what you guys are building. So can you walk me through the origin story and give me kind of the, the high level pitch on what you do? Of course. So basically, you know, Victorious, as mentioned before, it was established two years ago. Our main cause was to uh, create a data operations omni platform that would serve some sort of a junction for all of the organization's data flows. So basically what we're doing is, is helping data engineers, data analysts, and data scientists to better utilize their data sets, better utilize and connect with their data warehouse, and basically better, I guess, understand the way that they consume data today. I think that you know most of the today's big enterprises and our organizations are spending tons upon tons of money to better understand how to utilize their data, but they're not doing that in the right way. They're actually hiring a bunch of 
super skilled, but also super expensive people to orchestrate that under natural habitat. But eventually, they don't have a clue what to do there. And basically, they're losing plenty of time and plenty of money on that ordeal. Instead, what we're doing is plugging in our platform that enables them, you know, some sort of a catalyst to better amplify and better understand the way that data is being consumed and what is the aftermath of how to utilize their data. That's basically it. The fact that we came out with two, I guess, mostly identical products, one is our code-based platform and the other one is a no-code-based platform, enabled both channels within the company to better understand what and how to use our platform. So today we're completely code agnostic. So it doesn't really matter if you know how to code or not, you can use our platform and you know become a whiz in a matter of two weeks. Create your own data pipelines, connect between, I don't know, any data warehouse you know possible that is even existing to your own data dashboard and you'd see stats right away running on real-time basis. And I think that's kind of our claim to fame at this point. Nice. And are there specific job titles that you're really seeing a lot of adoption with? And you know, who's actually using the product? Our go-to personas are definitely the chief data officers within specific companies. We're talking to VPRDs, we're talking to product leaders. Some of the times we're even talking to the data engineers themselves because they just want to find a loophole and a solution to their problems. And they just couldn't use so many products that are being out there without one unified platform that kind of connects everything. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds a cliche, but in a one-stop shop, and, and that's definitely what we've kind of tried to push towards too. What size does a company have a chief data officer? I'm guessing that's a pretty large organization at that point. I say, yeah, I think that, you know, SMEs, you know, small, medium businesses and above are the ones that we're looking after at this point of time. Yeah, that that is correct. And then what's the go-to-market motion look like? Are you doing product-led, you know, getting users to use the product and then selling up from there? Or is it a sales-led go-to-market motion? I think just because, you know, our go-to personas are practically geeks because, again, we're, we're in deep tech and it's not, it's not a visual, good-looking product, right? We're talking about like code of, of building data pipelines. It's not the sexiest thing out there. It's not so. The way that we're actually, you know, getting into that rabbit hole is getting in as an influencers, using data influencers on Reddit, on LinkedIn, on GitHub to get as much exposure as possible and to get as many data engineers to actually bet for us and to vouch for our system before we go out there and uh, managing to, uh, you know, to get the proof of concept with any of those companies that we're actually uh, negotiating with. I can totally relate to what you said next. We are aiming for land and expand in terms of the strategy. We usually start off with a data team within a company and then later we'd manage to actually outgrow that team to other teams within the company. And that's basically what some modus operandi is, if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. That's super interesting. What about traction with your current customer base? What does traction look like just you know, in terms of anything that you're comfortable sharing? Of course. So as mentioned, you know, since the fact we only established two years ago, we've been working with, I guess, tens of clients at this point in time, mostly POCs, mostly trying to, you know, first focus and emphasize our product 
I guess, unique selling proposal. Some of them are paying customers, but it's nothing to be bragging about at this point in time. We're, we're just trying to build a very good product before we're going to the vast market. Makes a lot of sense. And what are you doing right now to rise above all of the noise that's out there? I can definitely hear the noise. I think that we're definitely swimming in a very big, saturated red ocean. There's so many data companies out there. Obviously, you know, we're looking on the five trans and the DBT labs of the world. They're out there. And those are big sharks, you know, to look up to. I mean, you know, these guys have pretty much rocked the atmosphere of, of data and they definitely know what they're doing. I think that us and the approach that we bring to the table is somewhat different. We're not focusing on one particular niche, but rather, you know, giving an ability to use us as a standalone drag and drop solution for any data problem that is probably existing today. And if not, we'll just make it happen. So instead of, I guess, being tangled or incarcerated for a two-year subscription with, you know, big companies like Fivetran, you could just use our plug-and-play data pipeline solution, use our transformers in a much easier way and pay much less. And that's basically, I think, the name of the game in today's atmosphere where everybody's trying to cut costs. I love the term incarcerated to, <laughs> to describe long-term contracts. That's such a world framing. Yeah, I don't want to step on any toes. I mean, you know, these guys are great, but the fact that you cannot like go on a monthly basis and to see if you actually love the lay of the land is troublesome. And the fact that you're being shackled, I guess the shackle is the better word for that, for a two-year term is just hideous. As a startup person, I just find it absurd. So anytime that I could pay less and get much faster results, I would go with that. Well, hey, as we talked about at the start of the call, you have to have an enemy, right? So sounds like the incarcerated <laughs> contracts are, are the enemy. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Nice. I love it. Now, let's talk a little bit about market category. So when I was you know, researching the company online, I found you were using the term data transformation framework to define or describe the company. Is that how you're still describing yourselves? Or how do you describe yourselves? And what are your thoughts on market categories? I think when it comes to that market, technology really shines above all other aspects or, or KPIs. So I think that the transformation out of the ETL process that we're actually managing and orchestrating is the most important, I guess, key on that frame. And our transformation devices that are being pretty much installed within our software, within our platform, I'd say outshine all of our competitors. And that's basically what we think we actually are more complemented and more narrowed down to the data transformers part of the, uh, of the landscape. Could you define ETL for us? So ETL stands for Extract, Load, and Transform. Many companies are actually using a different tail of the wordings of the three letters there. Some of them are using ELT, as in Extract, Load, Transform. Others are using ETL, as mentioned before. And it's all a dime a dozen. It doesn't really matter because the E and the L part are the super easier parts in comparison to the T. The T is actually the secret sauce of most of the companies and actually the technological part behind the, uh, the curtains. So I guess that the E and the L are, I guess today is, is a joke in comparison to what other companies have managed to do with the actual transformers part. Got it. That makes sense. And something else I like to always ask is, you know, why now? What trends make what you're doing it's super important right now for companies to embrace and adopt? 
I'm going to tell you about that going to be long. So it actually brings me back to the point in which we reconvened the four founders who've pretty much, you know, have decided to embark this company. I've been joined up to uh, three amazing people. One of them was the former head of the 81 unit in, in the Israeli military. The other one was the deputy commander of the 8200 unit in the Israeli military. And another guy that we brought as our VPRD used to be the former VPRD of the Shin Bet, uh, another, yet another Israeli security organization in Israel. And it was pretty much a cold fact that we've been discussing that data is still an enigma and data is still not smartly and sufficiently used within big conglomerates and big organization. And we just thought that there's a problem. We thought that we can all relate to the problem. And the fact that there are so many, you know, so-called solutions out there, but the problem still remains just, you know, gives it a, a dabble standard and it just gives it an amplification of the actual solution that needed to be found. And that's what and why we thought that Notorious should be established. Makes a lot of sense. And as you've probably experienced at this point, you know, bringing an idea, especially an innovative product to market, isn't easy. What would you say has been the greatest challenge and how'd you overcome that challenge so far? You know, I guess that facing the market for the first time and, and again, finding, you know, the right market niche is definitely, you know, I guess the most troublesome and the biggest pitfall that most companies have in their market balance. I think that the product market fit is a huge obstacle, but also a huge KPI for any startup company. I think it takes a whole lot of time to establish that. I think that once you establish your credentials, it would be much easier to kind of fly off and to make you know much greater success in so many levels. So I guess that you've heard this you know through the grapevine and perhaps from other companies, the product market fit is the biggest challenge that most startups, in my humble opinion, have. And so do us as well. Makes sense. Yeah, I think CB Insights had that as the number one reason that startups fail, right? Yeah. With the lack of product market fit. Exactly, exactly it. And how do you feel that you found product market fit yet? Or how close are you to product market fit? I think that we're super close. I think that 2023 is going to be a very, I guess, productive year for our product market fit. I think that we have a very ambitious and competitive KPIs that we want to just prove and achieve. And I'm super optimistic on their, on their achievement. And I'm you know static about what the future holds for us. So I'd say that 2023, in comparison to the two previous years, is going to be our year. And I am really looking forward to get onto that. Nice. I love it. Last question for you. If we zoom out into the future, what would you say is the five-year vision for the company? You know, honestly, we have a very tactical and strategic exit strategy. I, I think that, you know, us as a company, we're not looking to sell cheap. We're not looking to create a startup and to sell it after two years. We're actually looking to create good product for the long run and to make sure it actually resides and complements companies that are using it and not just being out there for a couple of years, then, you know, have an exit and to sell out and to kind of, you know, to chip out all of our cash and stocks. We're actually in for the long run. We're actually in to change the data landscape as it it today, I think, in a way. And that's what we're looking to do in the next five years. 
Amazing. I love it. Unfortunately, we're up on time here, so we're going to have to wrap. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you build, where's the best place for them to go? You know, so obviously I'm, I'm pretty reachable on, on social media. They can reach me out on, you know, via LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the usual suspects. Obviously, I also have my email pretty much out there in the website and in my LinkedIn. It's idenedotorious.com. You're free to send me anything and I'll be, you know, more than happy to connect. And I really enjoyed it, Brad. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks for joining. I really enjoyed this conversation. Loved learning about what you're building. And this all sounds super exciting. So look forward to having you back in a couple of years to share some updates. I'm looking forward as well. Thanks so much for the time and efforts. Yeah, cheers, man. Talk soon. 